God's been showing me, giving to me, and, and also how this is playing out in our church. I really like in this, getting a lot of feedback from many of you. And, and by the way, people ask me sometimes, do you even care about that stuff? Do you like, if you email, do I read it? Or what? Yes, I do. I, I actually care a lot about that. Um, I actually like that a lot more than conversations. And so uh, I do like this a lot. But this, this is something that has been huge, and we've even been talking about this on Wednesday nights. Many of, many of us in here, we have, we've been discussing each one of these uh, messages over this whole series. We've been discussing this on the Wednesday nights, and it's, and it's been very good. In fact, I think we're doing as much or more in, in connecting, learning, just understanding on the Wednesday nights through the discussion from everybody else's input into this. We've got a lot of a very smart, uh, enlightened spiritually understanding people that, that, are, that are really uh, helping us with the subjects and some of those kind of things. So um, I guess that was kind of to invite you to Wednesday nights, but, but uh, we're going to do it whether you're there or not. We're going to have a good time with it. But this, is, this has been a good series. I'm enjoying some of the stuff with this. Now, now uh, the, some of the stuff with the blended families and being single and all the different things that we've looked at, some parenting things. I want to look at marriage today. And again, like I've been doing with all of these others, I'm going to try to Look at this from a little bit different perspective. I'm going to say some very strong things today, a lot, a lot stronger than I normally do. In fact, normally I take the, some of these exact same sentences and I try to make them um, <clears throat> palatable into kind of our context today. And I, I don't want to do that this morning. I, I feel very strongly the Holy Spirit has put this on my heart. And, uh, and so I'm going to kind of take us down the road. Now, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture this morning. I'm not going to be able to break it down and, and explain it and do some fun things with it like I, I usually like to do. I'm going to do a lot of just reading through some of this, okay? <clears throat> but, but to kind of get the bigger picture of this. Now, the, the understanding of marriage and the covenant of marriage, and I'm going to specifically be focusing on the, the uh, commitment of marriage and the commitment to marriage in, in, this, uh, in this subject. And so the, the, to, to kind of set some groundwork, I think there are a few things that the Lord does this with in our society today, and one of these is marriage, and this is that he provides a window, kind of a visual access into understanding him more on a core level, to understanding more of who he is and how he looks at us and how we look at him and these kind of things. And so marriage is one of these things where we get to see certain things that you don't get to see in just the regular routine of life. And there are some other of these, I think, uh, having children gives you the ability to see either the one having the children or you look at other people that have had children and you get to see certain things about God and you get to see certain understandings of, of some of the aspects of God in ways that you don't get to. But one of the things I mentioned earlier, just the fact of God's creation. Scripture tells us that God's creation shouts out who He is. It declares who He is. Um, in fact, it says in Scripture that the, uh, that the heavens, the firmament, this de declares who he is, that um, the, the mountains behind me, they, they declare God. If you're seeing something else, if you're seeing that somehow, hey, that's enough. If you're seeing that somehow this came about as a, uh, as an evolutionary process or something, I mean, you have, you have the right to look at it any way that you want to, but man, you're really missing out. I was just kidding, Willie. You're, you're really missing out by not realizing God did this. You're missing. If you want to believe that this happened from some primordial soup or, or Big Bang or something, well, okay, believe that. But you're missing out on the amazing creativeness of God and how he designs it specifically so we can see him, so we can see his handiwork, we can see the amazingness 
of who he is. And marriage is one of these things where we get to see certain things you don't get to see it in, in many other contexts. We get to see the idea of grace. What it means, you can't, you can't uh, be married for years and years without grace. You can't be married for 20 minutes without grace being part of the subject. It, grace extended and grace being extended. Okay? If you think that's a one-way street, in other words, you're always extending the grace. I've, I've heard that different times over the years. Well, I'm always the one that's, that's extending the grace. Well, that's not true. It's just not. And uh, grace is, is going both ways there. Love, commitment, unconditional type of commitment that says I'm, I'm committed to you no matter what. No matter what you say or do or I'm committed to you, no matter how life presents itself, I'm committed to you. These are the kind of things that, that this window that we get to look through called marriage shows us God, shows us what, what love really is. Um, foreigner thinks they know, but God actually knows what love really is. Okay, you have to be a kid of the 80s to know that. But So the idea of, uh, the, uh, of, of marriage, I want to kind of unpack some things with the, for us. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, it, so, it says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. This is why I personally, verse 22 is why I believe that they should make um, women's perfume smell like hickory smoked barbecue. She came from the ribs. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains, and this sentence is, is very important. I'm not going to, usually I, I got a bunch of stuff in those first few verses I like to bring out. I, I just want to focus on verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is, I, I get this question every now and then. Somebody will say something about, um, well, you know, uh, polygamy was, was okay in the Old Testament. Now, all of a sudden, it's not. Like, there's an argument there uh, of something that, that, like, God's changed his mind or rules have changed. Himself. But polygamy was never God's plan. L- look at this sentence again. A man leaves his father's mother, is joined to his wife, singular, and the two will become one. They're united into one flesh. They become one. And this has a transcendence to it. This is an eternal thing, all right? This isn't just on this earth. This, we, we see from Scripture that, you will, that, you will, that, this, that this connection, this understanding of this uh, a marriage co- covenant connection transcends into eternity. Now, the idea that somehow God meant plural wives, no, it doesn't say that. You, he can't join to her and be one and join to her and be one and join to her and be one. Pretty soon, you're going to have 117th or 128th. or something. I mean, th- this is the idea that, that somehow polygamy was okay by God is not true. Just because it's in the Bible as they did this doesn't mean that God was okay with it. God told them over and over, don't do this. We see where Solomon, when he had the, the uh, many wives, um, he also had a lot of concubines. Was that okay then? Because he did. And it doesn't specifically say God said, Solomon, no, no on the concubines. Obviously, it doesn't fit his law. It doesn't fit what he says. And so obviously, this is part of this. The two will become one. Then in Ephesians chapter 5, we see where this is quoted again with a little bit different context. And I'm going to come back later in this, and I'm going to read the verses above this. But to focus on these few at the end of Ephesians 5, it says, As the Scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. And I, and I don't say this in a joking way, but this is one of those things that I think truly is one of the greater mysteries uh, around us. I'm going to show you some stuff next week 
about sexuality and, and uh, the, the mystery and some of the things in, involved with um, uh, intimacy, sexuality, all of these kind of things. I think it's going to surprise you. I, I know it will. Um, but, but that's a mystery too. Even, even I, I'm, I'm, I won't get there. I'll wait till next week. But th- the mystery of two people can live together uh, for their whole life. That's a mystery. It's a mystery to me how that's possible. And I, and I say this from personal experience. Um, I don't know how Linda and I have done this. Well, I know how we have it, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But she's a very strong personality. I'm a very strong personality. And it wasn't good at first. I mean, it was good, but wasn't good. Uh, it, it was there was there was that first two or three years were very volatile, trying to figure out how to do this. And I thought she was crazy, and she thought I was a jerk, and all this other stuff. And in reality, I'm not a jerk. And so, <laughs> the uh, the understand how do you try to fit this together? How do you do this? It's a mystery. It truly is a mystery. And then and then you add children to this, and and. No one dies. That, that's a, it's a beautiful thing that God has done with humanity. And so this is, this is a window. And see, he says, this is a great mystery. But look at how he says it. It's an illustration, a window, of the way Christ and the church are one. That from the very beginning of this, a scripture that I just read out of uh, Genesis, that from the very beginning of this, the Lord had planned on us marrying Jesus Christ. We know that because when he says at the end of this thing in Revelation, when he puts it, the, when he redeems it and puts it back together, we're going to marry Jesus, which means that that was the intention of the beginning. God's not, God didn't create something new after redemption. He was redeeming us to bring us back to put it back in order of the way it was supposed to be. And so we see that God had this plan from the beginning. And this mystery that we call marriage is an illustration of how Christ and us are going to be married and the commitment that Christ has to us and all of the things that he's trying to do with us. We're supposed to see that in the context of marriage, that when we, when, when we um, look at marriage or we are in a marriage, then we are supposed to be seeing and obviously this is one of the reasons Satan attacks it so much is because he doesn't want us to see God. He doesn't want us to see grace. He doesn't want us to see commitment. He doesn't want us to see love. He doesn't want us to see uh, people being integrous about the covenant that this thing called marriage is. That's why, that's why he attacks it so much, because marriage and family is the number one place where Satan loses battles. He loses the battle at, at every level when, when there is a healthy marriage, when there's a healthy family context. Satan is losing the battle for the human soul, the human mind, the, the psyche of relationships and context, and then how we look at God. Satan is winning the battle when he tears apart uh, families and, and marriages and things like that because it warps and, and helps us, uh, it displaces the truth of how we're supposed to interact with God. And so this is, a, this is a big deal. So I want to go to Ruth, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background, and then we're going to read a lot of, we're going to read a lot of the story of Ruth. We're not actually going to, there's a lot more to it. I would like you to read the whole thing because I'm leaving pieces out. This is a great story. It's one of the cooler stories in Scripture. And it's all about how, well, it has a, at face value, it's about the story that it is. But it really shows us the reason that God includes this story in Scripture. I believe the main reason is that it shows us um, how Jesus looks at us. This, that's what the point of this story is um, in, in, in one sense. And so Ruth is, um, to give you a little background, Ruth is a Moabite that, that comes into a Hebrew family and marries um, a, a Hebrew boy. Naomi's, Naomi had two sons. 
Ruth married one, her other son married another foreigner uh, that was not Hebrew. Both of the sons die. And also Naomi's husband, Ruth's father-in-law, dies. So now it's just uh, Naomi and Ruth. And, uh, and when I say Ruth was a Moabite, this is kind of important understanding. The Moabites were not well-liked or respected people in this uh, particular area. They were very, very much um, a down downclassed kind of uh, people in society. And they were also uh, very um, ungodly. They were very inbred. There was a lot of weird things going on with the Moabites, okay? So Ruth comes to Naomi's family, gets married, and then the, all the men die, and now it's just Naomi and uh, the two daughter-in-laws, okay? So Naomi says to the daughter-in-laws, you don't have to stay around and take care of me. That was, that was, what, that was the only way Naomi was going to be taken care of it. Um, at this time frame and how society worked, Naomi was going to need people to help her as a, as a widow. And so uh, she says, you don't have to hang out with me. You can go do your own thing. I release you from any kind of um, um, connection or commitment to me. And so one of the daughter-in-law says, okay, gotcha, see you later. And then Ruth says to Naomi, no, I'm, I'm committed. I'm into this. You, you, you're my family. Your people are my people, that whole uh, dialogue there. So, so Ruth sticks around. Now, um, she, Ruth is going to try to support her and Naomi, and they're very poor, and so they, uh, Ruth starts going to the farms where the farmers are uh, harvesting uh, the grain, the different things like that, and she starts picking up, along the edges of the field, she starts picking up the grain. In fact, there was a, a, a law, a Jewish law that said that they, if you were truly going to be a follower of God, you need to have certain mindsets, heart sets, and stuff like that. And one of these was, when you're harvesting, leave the edges. Leave the grain in the corners. Leave the edges. In fact, uh, Jerry Tuttle, who was in first service, he started a ministry in Pakistan, of a, a micro-enterprise, micro-loan business uh, ministry that also teaches stewardship, godly, uh, God's word, those kind of things in Pakistan. And it's called uh, Harvest Hill Corners. And it comes from this particular uh, uh, law, this little, this, this understanding. And so uh, you're supposed to leave that for people that are poor because they needed help. And so this is where Ruth is. She comes in and she's going to collect the grain. And this is how she's going to provide for her and her mother-in-law. And this is where we come in. Verse one of Ruth chapter two. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Now remember, he, he was dead. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out to the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. And Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. This is how they were going to eat. They didn't have really a lot of options. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. As it, as it happened, she found herself working a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied, which is showing us that, that uh, Boaz was a godly man and, and, his, and his people knew it. There was, a, there was a good foundation of relationship with God in, um, in Boaz's life and, and in his workforce, his family, and those kind of things. Okay, so then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. In other words, they all know the story. They all know her commitment to this, and we're going to see that in a little bit too. But Boaz knows it. The former knows it. All the people know it. 
And the foreman replied, um, I'm sorry, verse 7, she asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Now, I want to, as a little sidebar here, this is an important thing that I think can be lost sometimes. Uh, Ruth is trying to support and take care of her and Naomi, and when she comes up to the, the fields, she's going to be picking up excess grain that's left along the edges. But with that being said, he noticed the foreman says she works hard. Even though she didn't plant the grain and she didn't harvest the grain and it's not her grain and Boaz could say, get off my field, he, he, he lets her stay there, the harvesters let her stay there. It's still important to notice that she is a hard worker and people notice that. Now, as Church at Briargate, we help people when they come in. We help we, people come in all the time and we're always helping them. We helping them with, with paying bills or getting gas or getting food or those kind of, we help people all the time. Um, that's what we're going to do. That's our policy. In fact, sometimes we have to remind ourselves around here, it's, it, that's not easy to do because some people are jerks and they expect you to give just because you got something. And we, we have to remind ourselves, we're going to be people of grace. We're going to be people that help. Even if we're helping jerks, we're going to help. Now, there's a guy that's been uh, coming around some uh, over the last six months or so, and we, we have given him um, a few hundred dollars uh, over the last few months. But the reason is because he works for it. He does stuff. He, he's cleaned and detailed our vans. He works. This is something that I think should be rewarded. I think it's something first, and this is something for every one of us in here, but specifically younger, uh, younger people, is when you work hard, people notice. That's, a, that's an integrity issue. That's a personal integrity issue. Don't just expect to get stuff. Work for it. Do stuff. Work hard. People will notice when you work. And here's another one. When you're a lazy bum, people notice that too. Right? You, only thing you have to do is own a business for a little while, and you understand that the, 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 what I just said is the core of your workforce. It, it either makes you or breaks you. People that work or people that don't. And so, all right, I'm back. Now, <clears throat> he says, um, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to the other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in the field. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly, and when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. I do think it's interesting he doesn't hire her. He says, you can pick up the grain, you can do this stuff. She's already proven she's a hard worker and all this stuff. Now, one of the reasons that he doesn't hire her, I believe, is because uh, she's a Moabite woman, but I also believe that he's waiting to see what she's made of. Because there's going to be a lot more to this story, and I think at this point he's already kind of processing some of this and looking at it. He does not hire her. But she gets to, to, to get the grain. All right? You can put some of that, what you think there, whatever. So Ruth fell at his, knee, at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope to I continue to please you, sir, she replied. 
You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers. I think there's another thing on the work concept is be thankful for what you have. Be grateful for what you have. If you've got a job, be grateful for that. Work hard at it. Be thankful. I, I know there's a mentality in our society today that it is, it is, it's the business owner's responsibility to make sure that he's paying people. That is not the business owner's responsibility. The business owner's responsibility is to make money so he can pay people. It's not like you, you need to hire five more people because you got lots of money. What? He's trying to make money. You say, well, business owners make a lot. My son said this to me the other day. He, he, he has a much older conservative acumen than most 22-year-olds. And he said, he was looking at something online. I was sitting there, and, and they were picking on big business. He said, I don't understand why people pick on big business so much. Big business, big business, corporations, corporations. It's all bad. He said, it's not bad. I have an iPhone because of big business. I have a car because of big business. Go out and make your own car if you don't like big business. Go out and make your own iPhone. An iPhone would be $15,000 if it weren't for big business. The idea that somehow big business is horrible. Guys, lose this, lose the, just because society says it doesn't mean it's right. They're wrong about this stuff. Big business is what gives jobs to lots of other businesses and people. Evil AT&T. You know how many people work for AT&T? Evil Walmart. You know how many people work for Walmart? All right. That was, I did not say that in first service. That was free. So let's jump down to, to um, chapter 2, verse 19. Where did you gather all this grain today, Naomi asked when Ruth came home. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I work for with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to you as to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Now, this is a big thing um, for us today. It was a big thing for them, and it's a big thing for us to understand and get this wonderful picture of Jesus through this. But a family redeemer in this time frame was somebody that, so Naomi, Naomi's family dies. Her husband dies. Her two sons die. Now, Naomi has to try to figure out how to take care of herself. And in this context, in this culture, it would have been very difficult for her as a, as a uh, widowed woman, it would be very difficult for her to go out and like start a business or do something. It's going to be, somebody's going to have to help her take care of her. That is the responsibility of the family. This is always the way God has designed this. In fact, I think one of the, the, the most horrible things that has happened to our country has been for about 130 years now that it's been in existence is the idea of, now these things do good things. I'm not attacking them totally, but the idea of social security and the idea of welfare has hurt our country more than it's helped us. There's been some benefits, but it has hurt our country because what has happened is, is we have over time, we have assumed that our provision is going to come from the government. And at this stage of life, in fact, this is part of what some of the State of the Union was, that this stage of life in our country today, it is easier and more beneficial and lucrative for people to stay in basic poverty because of government handouts than to go out and get a job and work from poverty out of it. Because it's, you're going to have to take a step back 
financially to move forward long term because the government takes care of so much stuff. And we've got to a point in our country now where more than 50% of our, com- our country is getting handouts from uh, welfare and things like that to where you understand once more than half of the population is getting the benefits, they're never going to vote against them. You understand that? And people are now going to stay in that poverty and in lower uh, levels of income forever. Instead of saying, it's going to take a lot of work and I'm going to have to do some things, but I'm going to break out of this and I'm actually going to end up better long term. This, this mentality is the family redeemer mentality that says the family is supposed to surround people, not a government, not some kind of entity, not some kind of neutral thing, but the family and also, by the way, the church. And this is my argument here is the church in America is very complicit in this whole thing. We don't want to truly reach out and help people. We like the fact that government's doing it. We love it takes the responsibility of the individual and and groups like the church takes the responsibility off the families. It takes the responsibility off and just hands over to government and says, you take care of it. You take care of people when they're they're struggling with with, uh, some type of disability. You take care of them. I I don't have time. This this is a mentality that has so invaded our country that we really do believe, you'll hear terms like nanny state, we really do believe the government is our provider. Government's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be God. We're supposed to go to God and then work hard. And that's being taken away from us. And, and we're liking it. That's the, that's the part about it. It's, it's frustrating. This family redeemer thing is, I'm going to redeem you. You're part of my family. You're, because of the lineage, and I don't have, to have time to explain all that, but because of who you are in, in the lineage, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. And I, I take you into my uh, family, and I provide for you, and you become part of the extendedness of my family. And the fact that, um, that Boaz is not married, he has the ability to do this even by marrying uh, Ruth and bringing um, him into, her into the family. Okay, so now let's go down farther in chapter 3, verse 1. One day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found you a permanent home so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind letting you gather grain with his other young women. Tomorrow, tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Now this is where I'm going to start picking on some things that seem to be just so countercultural, And I just don't understand. I, I believe very strongly in most of the stuff that, the, that some of the women's and feminist movements have provided. I think there are some... The idea that a woman and a man should be paid the same, obviously that's, that should be a no-brainer. It shouldn't matter what gender the person is for the pay, okay? I get all of that stuff, but there's some very negative things that have come along with some of the feminist movements and some of the more radical feminist movements that have been very harmful to our country, very harmful to men and women relationships. And I think the biggest harm that's been done is to women. And this is sometimes we don't see this, but it's very, it's, some of this stuff is very detrimental. Here's one of the things is how, how, how society tries to teach women to look at themselves the idea that somehow uh, being a mother is a, is a second place thing or whatever. You know, why would you want to waste your time? Go out into the workforce and make lots of money and be important. And all this. Okay, you can actually do both. But why is, why is it bad to be? I, I heard a, a, a speech this last week. <clears throat> I didn't say it was the first service either. But I heard a speech this last week from Hillary Clinton. And she was talking about um, global warming and... America was going to turn into the Sahara Desert and be this burnt over 
warmed up thing of global warming, which is interesting because the Sahara Desert got snow this year for the first time ever. So, whatever. So, so she was talking about, and she said, women, you do not need men. Now, she was speaking at a feminist rally, but she said, you do not need men. The only way we're going to save this planet is if we leave the men behind and pick up the, the responsibility for the planet ourselves and take care of our planet. You do not need the men. She was screaming that by the time she finished. And I thought, well, if you don't need men, society dies after one generation. So they're good for something. But here's the thing. is so much push, so much push, so much push that's not healthy. That's not healthy. And here, here's one of the things. Naomi says to Ruth, Ruth, do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Why? If I were to suggest that from the pulpit or to a woman, why would I be some kind of horrible misogynist Male chauvinist pig. Put on makeup. Is that, is that, does that make me mean? Does that make me hateful? Put on makeup. Dress a little nice. This is, this is one of the things I, I give my daughter a hard time about this sometimes. About, you're, you're going out looking like that? Yeah. You're going to go to work looking like that? Yeah. What if Mr. Wright walks in and sees you at work? Well, if he can't love me the way that I am, how's it working for you? You, you see what I'm saying? The, 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 sometimes the things we say, and I'm going to stand around, if he can't love the, in, the inner me, he may not ever get to the inner you because the outward you is kind of repelling. Right? Do something about it. Brush your teeth. I don't, I'm not talking about my daughter, okay? I, she brushes her teeth. I, I moved. I moved past that. So we, let's not be, con, let's not, I, don't tell my daughter. I was, okay. So, but here's the thing. I, I've had this same conversation with my boys, specifically when they were younger, because they didn't brush their teeth and stuff like that. I'm like, do you like that girl? Yeah. Has she smelled you? Take a bath. Brush your teeth. Put on some deodorant. Why? Because we are repelling them if we don't. And Ruth is saying to a girl, I've heard Linda say this to, to many wives that, that have been married a few years or whatever, and I've heard her say this. I've heard her say it in sessions. I've heard her say it individually. I've heard her say this. Ladies, dress nice for, her, for the guy. Put on some nice clothes. Put on some makeup. Have a nice dinner. You know, look nice. Why is that such a bad thing to say today? Well, it's not all about the outward appearance. Really? It's not? You're telling me the people, I've never heard anybody that says that that actually believes it. They only believe it about them, but they don't believe it about everybody else. Well, he, he needs to just see me. Okay, what about when he looks like a complete idiot and stinks? Do you, are you attracted to that? Do you like that? Because that, that road bo runs both directions. Why is this? She's giving her some very basic good advice. Present yourself well. I've seen this in, in interviewing people for, for jobs in the church. I, I had a, 
I saw a resume one time this guy had sent to the church I was pastoring. He had taken a piece of notebook paper and wrote down his name and address and, and the school he went to uh, and tore it out of the note and didn't even tear it right. It tore across the bottom of the page. Like, he's like, I'm sending this. He mailed it to me. Now, here's the deal. Do you think I'm even going to consider that guy? You can't even type a resume. You, gotta, you can't even tear the paper straight. Do you think I'm going to, all this stuff, do you think if you show up to a job interview looking like goofy, that, that you're going to be, come on, these are common sense things that we like to push out there. She says, do some things, clean yourself up, smell nice, look nice. And then she says, then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I'll do everything you say, Ruth replied. Years ago, I was a youth pastor, and, and a, a pastor I worked for was, was preaching on this, and he said that, there was, that, that this brought a level of sexuality to the relationship and some sexual tension. And I thought about that over the years, and I, I can't go there. I don't like feet. <laughs> I don't like my feet. I don't like your feet. I don't like my wife's feet. Every now and then, she does this, I think just out of spite, but every now and then, middle of the night, she'll touch me with her feet. <laughs> oh, I cannot. The idea of her laying down at my feet, I'd be like, the whole time. No, no sexual attention at all, zero. And don't touch, I, pedicures. I was, I was going into breakfast the other day at a, at a restaurant by my house. I love this whole place. Right next to it is a spa. And I go walking by the spa to go in. I was meeting a guy there. And I go in. I'm walking by the spa. And there's a guy sitting there at the very at front, right to the next to the window, which was the first problem. And he's getting a pedicure. Like a 55-year-old dude sitting there getting a pedicure. And, and I just, I didn't mean to, but I just stopped and I just stared at him. And he's sitting there and talking, and, you know, and then he looks over, and he sees me, and I'm standing like right here, but on the outside of the window, just looking at him. And you could see he was like. And I thought, you should be embarrassed. Something wrong with you. You're a man, grown man. And I just went in. So I get in the restaurant about 10 minutes later, a friend of mine that I was meeting there, Ronnie, he shows up, and he walks in. He goes, hey, Scott, how you doing? did you see the guy? I said, I saw him. He said, he's sitting right at the front. And he said, when I walk by, I went like this. <laughs> I thought, thank you. For all men everywhere. I don't know why. I'm really going off track this service. But so she says, go lay down his feet. See, I don't think the, I don't think the feet thing was a sexual thing. I, I, think, it, I think maybe it could be if, you're, if you like feet. But I, I, I think it was a submission thing. I think she was laying down at his feet saying, I, I give myself to you. I submit myself to you. I'm here for you. You, you, you will be the one uh, in charge of this whole thing. I'm going to get back to that. Uh, verse 4. Um, I'm sorry. Verse 7. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, uh, he laid down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. He, he was a, hard, a heavy sleeper. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who wouldn't be? So, 
Who are you, he asked. I'm a servant. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The submission to the family redeemer was what was going on with the feet thing, in my opinion. Okay, So the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family, family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. No, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. This is cool, for everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman. Which, which is also why I don't think this was a sexual tension kind of thing. He's saying, everybody knows you're a virtuous woman. I'll make sure that stays solid. I don't want to, I don't want to um, undermine that. I don't want people to think that you're not virtuous. I'm going to do this the right way. Okay, Guys, that should, that should speak, guys, male and female, that should speak to us. There is a virtuous way to do things. Let's do it that way. Let's, I know that's not very common and popular in society today. Nowadays, you have sex whenever you want. You live together. You do whatever you want. But come on, somewhere, somewhere we can draw a line and say, let's do this right. Let's, let's do this virtuous. Guys and girls both. Used to be guys, this would be a conversation you only have for guys. Guys, make sure that you lift her up and, and hold her uh, virtue as, a, as an important thing. But nowadays, it's, it doesn't matter. It's guys and girls both. Guys respect her virtue. Girls respect his virtue. And let's work toward those things. So he wants to do this right. So chapter 4, verse 9. This is later. He's done his homework. He's figured out with the uh, rules around this and who's involved. And he realizes he's now the, the guy that can take care of this relationship. So then he says, then Boaz says to the elders and to the crowd standing around. This was in public square. In fact, he had done the important thing that's involved with a contract at this particular time. He had taken off his shoe and handed it to the other guy. So, <clears throat> but that's what he did. You are witnesses that today I have brought, I have bought from Naomi all the property of her family, and with the land I have required, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite woman of, Mahon, of Malon, to be my wife. This way, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. That's huge. You're all witnesses of this today. Not only is she a Moabite woman, a, a, a crazy, inbred society, outcast, all kinds of stuff that comes in. He accepts her, and then after this, he says, in front of everybody, I'm going to make sure, because she's a virtuous woman, we do this right. I have purchased the land. I've done all this stuff. I am now taking this family under my wing. I'm covering them with me, which is, which is like a direct quote out of Psalms 91. It hadn't even been written yet. And, and all these different things, and I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to provide for them. And I want you to witness that I'm doing this so that she can even, not as a Hebrew person, but as an outsider Moabite woman, I'm going to do this so that she can actually inherit and be a full heir of this family. Now, just as a side note, this whole thing is how Jesus treats us. Outcast sinner, rebuking God, pushing God away, resisting God's plans, laws. Jesus still dies on the cross. He becomes our redeemer. He pulls us into his family, covers us with his blood, and gives us full inheritance of everything. That, that part alone is amazing to me. But I want to look at this from the concept of marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. See, all this stuff that... <clears throat> that um, Boaz does here, he does it in such a way that he is lifting up Ruth through everything. He doesn't speak down to Ruth. He doesn't demean Ruth. He doesn't hold her accountable for her, her uh, people group she's from, 
uh, bloodlines or whatever. He doesn't even acknowledge that or see that as a negative thing. He just says, Ruth, I want to give all of who I am and all of this stuff to you. Now, I do think it's very interesting that she starts the conversation by submitting to him, laying down at his feet in a submission role. Now, I don't believe that Jesus waits for us to submit to him. He dies on the cross before we're even born. But the submission mentality to Jesus Christ is very important in the subject. Okay, now, with that said, let's look at this in the marriage context, Ephesians 5, verse 21, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, normally, I talk about submission, and I kind of, you know, lighten the edges so that it's not too difficult, it's not too strong, and, uh, but I, I want to take all that, I want to unfetter it this morning, and just, let's just look at what Scripture says, and let's deal with this stuff. Verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, which is completely. I I can't even live without you, Jesus. I can't get to heaven without you. I can't have peace in my life without you. Everything, I have to submit to Jesus. As As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. Now here's the, the question. And, and again, I know, I know this is very challenging. This is very countercultural today. But I just want to throw this out here. The scripture says, wives, submit to your husband. It doesn't say wives be subservient to all males everywhere. And that's, that's not, I don't think scripture teaches that. And that's definitely not something I'm going to say to my wife. <laughs> um, but but here's, the, here's the deal with this. It does say as the church submits to Christ, wives, submit to your husbands. Submit to your husbands in all things. If you really are committed to this guy and you want to spend the rest of your life with this guy and he's the everything in your life, why would this be such a bad thing? Why would this be so horrible? Why would this make, why, why would this scripture be so misogynistic? Why would it be so um, chauvinistic? If you want to if you want to spend the rest of your life with this guy and you want to have his kids and you're committed and you love him and he's the everything he's your all in all in life he's where your heart begins and ends why would submit to him be such a horrible thing unless society has told us over and over and over that somehow you're giving up yourself, you're giving up your rights, that you're an independent woman, you can do your own thing. Why do you need a man? Unless those conversations are part of the conversation, why does it it mean you can't be a, a, a leading person in industry if you submit to your husband? No. Does it mean you can't be wealthy if you submit to your husband? No. Does it mean you can't be powerful in the things that you do if you submit to your husband? No. But we've convinced ourselves that somehow this is horrible hate speech because of what society has done. Why wouldn't you want to? To use the visual picture, we're all in with this this morning, at least I am. Why would you not just want to lay down at his feet? Does that, does that bother you when I say it that way? Does, does that grate against you? Some of the men are uncomfortable. Shut up. 
Does that, I mean, seriously, ask yourself the question. Does that bother you that you would just completely submit to your husband? Is it so bad? Because I would like to posit that if it is, there's something going on in your spirit and your heart that you need to talk to God about. Because somewhere there's a breakdown. You love him completely. You're all in. See, this is one of the things that's changed in the context of marriage today. We're not actually all in. I'll give them all of me, but I'm not actually all in. I got a back door. I got my hand re- reaching out the back. So at any moment, I can take off if I need to. Oh, I'll give you all of myself physically. I'll give you all of myself maybe a little bit emotionally. But I'm not all in in this thing. I am probably not going to last it out. And that's why things like, I'm just going to submit, just gets left. Let's, let's go on. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. How much simpler can you make that? That's an all-in mentality. I gave my life for her. Well, she treats me bad. My life. She complains. My life. She doesn't respect me. My life. Name any of those things that Jesus didn't have to deal with from us all the time. Rejecting Jesus, rejecting his grace, rejecting his love, rejecting everything that he tries to do with us. And we push him away and we, sometimes we, we live for him, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we act like we're in love with him, sometimes we hide him from people. We don't want him, we're embarrassed by him, all these different things. And Jesus still dies on the cross for us and he still gives us everything. And he says, I am standing here completely committed to you at all times. And then he says, this is why he gave his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Husbands, I believe this is your responsibility. You present your wife to yourself as perfect. Even as I say that, it's challenging. Because why? Every one of our brains go, but she's not. Present her to yourself. Does that mean Jesus is schizophrenic? He's lying to himself? None of those things. He covers her with his blood and presents her to himself as perfect because he has made her perfect. Now, you can't do that in the same sense that Jesus does, but you can definitely have that as your direction and your goal, that no matter what she does or how she does it, you commit everything to her. You're presenting her to yourself as perfect. No matter what, she's perfect. No matter what she says, perfect. You may need to do the, the, the Costanza serenity now. You may have to yell at, she's perfect. You know, you may have to convince yourself. But th- there's this mentality that we can't even go there. Because somehow we're lying to ourselves. Was Jesus lying to himself? No, he made it possible. He took something that was impossible and he made it possible. So guys, here's your responsibility. Figure out how to make it possible. Do whatever it takes to provide and treat her like a princess. Do everything that you're supposed to do. Anything you can think of. The idea that, well, she's the old ball and chain. That's not the mentality that gets it done. Somewhere we've got to change our thinking and say, my entire existence, I breathe air so that I can serve her. Why does that grate against us so much? Why 
Why does, why does, it, why does our, our flesh resist this? Because Satan is not wanting this to happen. That we can present her to me. That means I'm going to be the redeemer. Now, I can't do it in the blood sense that Jesus did. I can't do it in the, in the totalness of salvation, but I can definitely do it in relationships and conversations and attitude and family and all the other things. I can bring grace into this constantly. I can bring peace into this constantly. I can constantly speak to her in a way that is uplifting to her and positive to her and beneficial to her and that I am presenting her to God first and second to myself as the everything. Why, why do we resist this stuff so much? Society has told women, women, you cannot submit to anybody. You're a woman, here you roar. I've had this happen. I've opened doors for women before and been chewed out. Now, I want to slam the door, not in her face, but on her. But I don't. Because no matter how she talks to me, I'm still a gentleman. I'm still going to open doors for women. I'm still going to do it. I don't care if they hate me for it somehow. I let a guy in the traffic yesterday in the middle of a snowstorm. I slowed down so he could get onto the freeway, and then he flipped me off. <laughs> then I said, do you see that? He flipped you off. What? I'm being a nice guy. How did that deserve that? I know. I was hurt by it. How can I treat her with dignity and respect more than society says. It doesn't matter what society says. Give yourself to her. Completely give yourself to her. See, this is the part where it says, um, the two shall become one flesh. You understand it doesn't say that about children. Children are going to leave. Man leaves his mother and his father. The children leave. Your primary relationship is the marriage relationship. It's not the children. And in, in, in our society today with blended families and everything else, that gets muddied down and we don't know for sure what to do sometimes. And sometimes we're defending our children doing it over the marriage, but the marriage is the primary. You're one with this person. Get all in with it. Get all in. Be a, be a peacemaker. Be a peace speaker. Be a love speaker. Be a love giver to the relationship. Lift the relationship up no matter what, guys. No matter what she does. If she disrespects you every second of every day, lift her up. Where she belongs. Lift her up. All right. Let's finish it out. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So I, I wrote down four things. And I know these are, I know these just fly in the face so much of, of American relationships. But this is biblical stuff. When do we stop trying to fit it in and just say, Lord, we need to change some things. The first one, wives, lay down at his feet. And again, if that grates against you, maybe I'm totally wrong, but you at least ought to ask God. If that grates against you, ask God. The second thing, husbands, do whatever it takes to treat her right. No excuses, no excuses. Do whatever it takes. In public, she needs to be the princess. In private, she needs to be the princess. In your heart, she needs to be the princess. Under all circumstances. Third thing, both of you together, redeem each other. Submit to each other in verse 21. Redeem each other with love, grace, and commitment. Let, let your children, let the people around you, let coworkers see God through this thing. 
The only way you can do that is surrender yourself. That's the only way they're truly going to see God. And then the fourth thing is take this covenant seriously. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> I believe the number one thing that keeps marriages together is not love. Um, it's not even in, the, in one sense commitment. I believe that the biggest thing that keeps marriages together is integrity. You have made a, a covenant between you and another individual, and you made the covenant first between you and God. Integrity, integrity is what will keep the relationship together more than anything else. Can we be all in? Let's, let's pray. God, we need your help. Lord, I pray for, I, I pray for the guys first. Lord, if there's, if there's any guys in here struggling with any of this, God, soften their heart and let them, let them see truth. Let them see your word. Lord God, let them see that they, they can do this. They can be all in. That they can make a commitment at a complete different level. And Lord, as, as a man, I tell you, I repent. Lord, I don't, I don't do this well sometimes. Lord, I ask you for me. Wash me clean. Forgive me. And help me to be the, 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 a peace giver, a love giver, completely about commitment. And to, to lift Linda up at all, at every stage of, of every place in life. Lord, to lift her up to you as perfect. And lift her up to myself as perfect. God, I pray that for all the guys in here. Lord, we, we ask you to forgive us. We don't always do well with this and we need your help. In the name of Jesus. God, I pray for the ladies. I pray for wives, Lord God, that, that, that if somehow just submitting to their husband is, is considered a negative thing, Lord, help them to, to, help them to, to see through the, the junk that Satan tries to manipulate people with. God, Satan is trying to destroy families and marriages and, and men and women. And God, I ask you to destroy the strongholds that he tries to build up in our lives and our minds. God, I rebuke the, the lies that come from society to men and to women. I rebuke these lies. Lord, destroy them. Help us to see them for what they are. They are lies, and they're destroying us. They're hurting us. They're hurting our kids. They're hurting our society. God, help us to see through them. And Lord, then spiritually attack them and, and destroy them in the name of Jesus. God, we want to live in your truth. In Jesus' name. So God, I pray for our husbands that they'll be godly husbands, not just good husbands, but godly husbands. And Lord, I pray for our wives, that they'll be godly wives, not just good wives, but godly wives, according to your scripture. And Lord, help us to redeem each other. Help us to constantly be redeeming each other. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Lord God. Now, I want to suggest this. <clears throat> um, you have to make this decision here, and I know I'm potentially causing some problems, but this is what I would suggest. Married peoples in this room, have a conversation about some of this. If at all possible, have a conversation about some of this and, and talk to your spouse. Maybe do it like this. Say to your spouse, hey, what did you think about that message? Start it like that. See what happens. And after they get all through the, you know, pastor's kind of mean sometimes. And, and, uh, and I don't like the color of his hair. Once you get past all that stuff, then actually talk about the, the stuff. 
And then here's a suggestion. Guys, girls, here's a suggestion. Then somewhere in the conversation at the, toward the beginning say, how do I do with this? Do I, do I do okay with this? What do you think? I don't know. You've got my phone number. If you need me to help put some relationships back together. Uh, maybe I'm not the guy. I don't know. But uh, So just think about it. Just think about it. Ask each other. Talk a little bit about this. Right? Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus, the Savior. God will honor that in your life. Shake somebody's hand, hug their neck, and uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your week.